Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and in this episode I'm joined by Emma to talk about the multiverse, the underlying physics and why there are so many movies that feature it. So to start off with, Emma, tell me something you know about this from your physics degree. I haven't per se had a module in multiverses, but I've had plenty of modules in quantum mechanics and I've had some cosmology modules as well. And as far as I'm aware, there are those two branches of physics seem to have their own theories on multiverses and, you know, write them into the history and of physics and try and include them to make sense of things that don't make sense. But I think quantum mechanics is a good way to um, picture a lot of the physics um, theories of multiverses because it's all about quantum mechanics and probability at the end of the day. Um, and I think it's the most fundamental theory when it comes to um, multiverses. And there's many theories for multiverses, but one of the most popular ones, which also I think it's just come in and out of trends as well, because as I was reading about it in the 70s, physicists weren't liking it, but in the 50s they were. And then in the 80s, they weren't liking it. And then now like people are starting to like it again. So um, now that it's trendy again, <laughs> we'll go through the many world interpretation of um, of physics, which is that whenever you make a measurement um, and you have different possibilities of results, um, there exists a universe where you have those different results come true. And Laura, are you following when I say measurement and results or should I go through more of that? <laughs> so I vaguely remember being taught about Schrodinger's cat and the thought experiments from my own undergrad degree. I mean, I did physics like 20 years ago now and I think the way it's taught has probably changed quite a lot. So the measurement is essentially you interacting with the object or the cat in some way yeah yeah so I'll recap Schrodinger's cat I mean I'm as I'm sure you know Schrodinger's cat but it's the classic thought experiment of you put a cat in a box with a radioactive sample and that if that sample decays and it causes a poison trap to re release I mean there's many different ways that a cat can die in different theories of Schrodinger's cat but essentially it's probability based, like the decay of a radioactive isotope. And then you close the box and you can't see the cat. Um, and while you're staring at the box, you don't know if the cat is dead or if the cat's alive. So you say that it's both dead and alive as a superposition of the two final states. <laughs> um, and that's where superposition comes into it. If anybody's heard that from quantum mechanics, it's something... It, two different states or multiple states happening at the same time because you don't know. But um, obviously, if you were to open the box, you would see if the cat is dead or alive. <laughs> and that's where like the results from the measurements. So the measurement is looking in the box in a case of Schrodinger's cat. And um, to relate that to the many worlds interpretation is that there exists a universe where the cat is dead and where the cat is alive to put it in simple terms. And then when you make a measurement, you decide which universe you're in, which I think is a good way to think about it. It's a simplified version of it, but it's easy to digest, I think, which is important when it comes to multiverses. A good analogy from real life 
is probably something like when you get your exam results and you get that envelope and you don't know what the results are <laughs> until you open that envelope. So you could all have passed. You could all have gotten like 100% on every exam. <laughs> you don't know until you look. <laughs> <laughs> you both passed and failed until you see the results. Yeah, and your life can go in any direction based on what's in the envelope, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think, I don't know, I think that the many worlds has some sense because you can physically imagine that because there are two possibilities, there is going to be a universe where that happens. It makes sense in my head. And it does seem to be more philosophical in that sense, because apparently when you actually do the maths, it's um, a bit lackluster of maths. So I don't think the Cosmol dislike that. This is the bit where I start to become a little bit confused. I haven't studied maths in quite a long time and it is all very maths based. It's all this theoretical stuff, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. The one thing that I remember from my undergrad that's maths based is if you have a particle in a potential well uh, and you can think of that potential well as a box that the particle can't escape from if uh, by potential it just means amount of energy right yeah um, and it's, it's got very low potential so it can't really move from the space that it currently occupies there was some maths you could do to try and figure out where about in that potential well that particle was but then some uncertainty came into play you can know the position but you couldn't know the momentum or something like that and I don't actually remember any of the maths involved. Yeah, yeah. You just mentioned Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, actually. Famous, famous uncertainty principle. Yeah, so the potential well is essentially that, like, imagine something's in a box, like an electron, with infinitely high walls, and it can't escape that box. Because the sides are infinite, uh, and they're solid, and they're not moving, they become a boundary condition. And so when you know a boundary condition on a system you can actually formulate a wave function which represents the state of the electron in the box and i know i've said a lot of (laughs) boundary condition states i've said a lot of wave functions i'm saying it all um but essentially to break down what a wave function is because i'm sure i'm sure it's been mentioned in many films probably in the wrong context as well a wave function is any function like y or f of x is just a function that describes the state of a particle or a system uh, completely like it contains all the information you could need so when you have a particle in a potential well that has a wave function that represents it and when you mentioned you can calculate the position and the momentum you do that by performing a mathematical operation on the wave function so if you wanted to say, I want to know what the position is, you would use the position operator, operate on the wave function, and then you get the probabilities of the position back. So that's a great time to stop because I've just mentioned loads of things. Just throwing all the jargon. Yeah. It now sounds like we're doing surgery on an electron because you mentioned operations. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> To make things complete, um, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is the you can't know the position and the momentum of an electron or of a particle to a great accuracy at the same time. You can't know both. You can only know one accurately and another has to be less known. And uh, there's that famous joke uh, where it's like a police officer stops um, Heisenberg for speeding and he says, do you know how fast you go in and then Heisenberg goes no but I do know where I am (laughs) that's a bit of a classic one that all the physicists love that one so with the jargon of operations should I go over that a bit more 
I think so. So so I'm sort of understanding it is you do some maths to the maths, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that set of equations that defines your electron, you can do something to those equations to give you some sort of information. Yeah, essentially. It's all, if you think of it as like a broad like scope, it's essentially just probability theory. So the wave function gives you the probability of something happening and you op use an operator to determine what that something is. So probability that the electrons in the middle or average position, you perform the operation and then you get the probability out of the wave function. Honestly, it's kind of harder to explain than it is to do the math. I could imagine that because you're trying to visualize this thing that it's not quite accurate, yeah. is it? You're not looking at like an actual, like a ball inside a box necessarily, which is the example yeah. we're sort of using. That's sort of as close as we can get to explaining it without just looking at some equations. Yeah. And because it all seems very mathy, and it is, um, you can actually simplify it, which does take away a bit of like the perfect accuracy of, you know, the math, but that's what happens when you explain things. Um, so it's not a quantum mechanically perfect example, but imagine that there's a wave function that describes a dice. So you have every information you want to know about the dice, where it is, what it, what numbers facing up, etc. And so we could apply an operator that's called the what number is facing up operator. And then when we perform that on the wave function, we find that there's a probability of there being each number with a chance of one over six, as you would expect. And that is a quantum mechanical explanation of something that's classical though. So again, it's not perfect, but it just to get like the, the idea of that you find, you know what you want to find, you apply it and then you get the probabilities of the different outcomes is essentially what the whole maths of quantum mechanics is. And it's hard to understand. Like if you're feeling like, I know if you're like scratching your head of it right now, it's fine. <laughs> everybody, everybody's <laughs> like that. Yeah, I'm doing a physics degree and I'm like that right now. So it's normal. Fair enough. But I guess as long as you can follow your way through the maths and come to the answer that's on the exam paper. I'm going to keep bringing everything back to exams and getting your results now. Yeah, I yeah. I don't have to go through that for a while, though. So, that's nice. <laughs> But yeah, so how does it actually apply to the multiverse? And it's the idea of the different outcomes that have different probabilities are exist in a different universe. That's So when you roll a dice and you get a one, the many worlds interpretation is that you can have um, different universes with two, three, four, five, six. But that's like just that theory there's more theories that the like physical constants in the world are different in different universes. Whoa, so physics is entirely different in that case. Yeah, that's like the um, cosmology theory, um, which people are doing a lot more kind of research and maths into trying to find evidence for it. But it's what's known as the bubble theory of um, multiverses. And um, it's where the universe is split into bubbles and they all have like slightly different like physical worlds. So like the speed of light could be different in one of them because it happened at a different stage of inflation after the Big Bang. Again, many, many big words, but that's, <laughs> cosmology is different physics like backgrounds. And then I think the physics interpretation is just different universes. See, I think I'm struggling a little bit with visualising these bubbles in the universe where there is different physics because that sounds like 
a physical thing that you should be able to interact with because we're talking about bubbles, same as we were talking about a particle in a box before. But it's not it's not what it actually looks like because we can't see it because the physics yeah. is different. Yeah. And also, I mean, that's what they're searching for. Like um, when I was looking into it, it was they were searching for gravitational waves or gravi- like evidence that there's like influence of different matter on our universe, which would be from one of these bubble universes because they would also have mass and experience an attraction. That's how they kind of uh, look for it, I think. I mean, I'm not a cosmologist. Yeah, but that would mean they'd interact in some way. So there must be some crossover from that different physics, that different bubble of physics to our bubble of physics. Yeah, I guess it depends how like how thick is that bubble wall, like how much being separated <laughs> from each other. But I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit biased, but I don't. I like the different universes where different things happen because that's where all the media and like Doctor Strange, Multiverse, and like Spider Man. You can have a different actor for Spider Man in each different universe because that's a different outcome. So that makes sense to me. And I think that's what people like to hear about multiverses. Like no one wants to know if the speed of light's different. People want to know if Tommy Maguire is Spider-Man or if Tom Holland's Spider-Man. That's, <laughs> that's the real importance. But I also made it made it quite easy for Doctor Strange to do certain things. That was basically what he was able to do. He wasn't necessarily he wasn't doing magic, he was just doing physics. Yeah, although Doctor Strange thinks that he can move between multiverses, and that has absolutely no like physical representation. I could find like there's no way to enter a multiverse uh, not even by something like quantum entanglement <laughs> <laughs> Physics words. no I don't think because quantum entanglement it's nice to compare superposition and quantum entanglement so superposition is when you have two states existing at the same time like the cat being dead and alive mm-hmm. and then entanglement is when two states influence each other and so that's what Einstein called spooky action at a distance because he found that when something changed in one area, it changed something else. And so they were like entangled. And like the maths, when you look at um, an entangled wave function as well, um, you can see it. Like it looks like you can see that when you try and do the maths, it just doesn't separate. That's quite nice. So sometimes, if you guys don't understand quantum mechanics, maybe the thing to do is a mathematical course on quantum mechanics and it'll just clear everything up. I guess so. How much maths do you need to know before that? So, like, I mean, before I went to university, I could do things yeah. like differentiation and integration. I vaguely remember doing stuff like Laplace transforms. Ooh, you mentioned Laplace then, and I was like, no. <laughs> um, not in quantum mechanics, actually. We did Laplace when we were doing about waves and stuff. But I think integration's a strong one because you do the integration to find, like, the probabilities and things. But I think maybe if you just... If you only know integration or differentiation, I think you could get very far with quantum mechanics. Okay, so that's the sort of maths that I'm fairly yeah. comfortable with. I'd have to refresh my memory a little bit because I don't, I haven't done that sort of thing in a long time. Yeah, I do more, more real world things that don't even require me to differentiate and integrate. <laughs> Calculus isn't real world, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember again when I was doing my undergrad, there was this big thing about grand unification theories and things like string theory and all these other things yeah. that were like different aspects of physics that didn't necessarily quite match up and that's what grand unification theories are meant to do that's one of the main problems with um this many worlds interpretation is people don't like it because it's um linear and the world isn't linear it's not consistent with the theories that we have and we think we know now and so people can't include it in um theories 
So that's why it gets disregarded. The maths of string theory, the theorists, they just, you know, spend some time doing some maths and then they just get like, well, the universe should have 10 dimensions. And that's all I know about string theory, just 10 dimensions. But apparently there's like M theory, which is 11 (laughs) dimensions. And it's this M theory that um, allows you to have different, they're called brains, but not spelt brain brain, B-R-A any just to be more confusing because it's not confusing enough already (laughs) yeah different brains of the universe that can support the idea of multiverses maybe but i don't know how popular string theory is anymore so i was trying to get my head around it in preparation for this episode and i got as far as okay there are 10 dimensions the first four are sort of up and down left and right and then moving through time so the three space dimensions and one time dimension and then the other ones were all like sort of almost like different iterations of the universe where something had happened at some point from the Big Bang to make things slightly different. And the further through the dimensions you got, the weirder things got, essentially. That's interesting. Because I saw some theories as well where it was, there's multiverse theories where there was different levels of the multiverse. So like level two was the universe is having different physical constants. And then you have like, it goes all the way up, I think, to like level four of different like variations and different types. And then there's another theory with different types of universe. And then the many worlds is like what's known as a quantum multiverse. And you have like different like holographic multiverse that means different things. So I think people just like to kind of have an idea about it. Because also, I think very funnily, having nine different types of multiverses, you have multi multiverses i'm like surely multiverse should encapsulate every every universe no it's like some infinities are bigger than other infinities kind of like argument that does sound a little bit odd because i guess when you see it um represented in films it is usually a, a character has made a decision and then they're sort of they split into two different timelines yeah but it's still the same universe it's the same physics it's just one person decides to travel the world and the other one decides to stay at home and look after someone or something like that yeah i guess because that's quite a human way of explaining what it means when you're doing this measurement and influencing something that could just be like a subsection of the multiverse there could be another like completely different subsection where you have a different hair color for some reason and you just make the exact same decisions that you've made but something's different about you but i love the split in timelines um description and media because that just reminds me of um, that Rick and Morty episode where there's any sense of uncertainty, like space-time splits and they enter different universes. Because that, I think that's what I think whenever I think of the multiverse. I don't think of Doctor Strange. I don't think of Marvel. I think of Rick and Morty. So maybe I'm never <laughs> going to get that out of my head. Maybe that's just like the way I thought about it. And that's just the way it's going to stay. Uh, I feel like that means that anyone that is slightly uncertain or I guess maybe not so confident in life is just always confused because they're always splitting into many different universes. Yeah. Whereas someone who is always certain of what they're doing has one path and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. Maybe if you're more certain then you you have like a shorter path through space time or something. I don't know. That's getting confusing now, though. I feel like we're going down some sort of just general philosophy route and veering away from the maths of it and just thinking about, well, what happens if I do this? Yeah, yeah. The maths is hard, though. <laughs> it's the philosophy that, that's, the, that's the fun thinking point. 
But I feel like we were going down the cosmology route because that's all about like different universes, light paths where you go, how long you spend in a certain area and how much time that passes for you. That feels very cosmology relativity for me. So maybe that's why I'm getting confused. Let's stick to the maths of quantum mechanics. <laughs> all right. So I've got this idea that if we go back to sort of my undergrad physics, you, you have a particle in a box you've done something to it to try and take a measurement Mm -hmm. and then that sort of makes you split into one of the multiverses yeah and that's one theory of multiverses as well like if we're assuming that this many worlds is right then that's what happens which is what um it was in a lecture to some students um schrodinger said like a preface of what i'm going to tell you you're not going to believe and it's that everything that we can look at and think of already exists in some area and that area is a different universe i think it's an like it's it's an idea that i feel like i can get behind like can i do the maths behind proving it no but there's something about it that i like it just intuitively makes sense it makes you comfortable with the universe that we're in (laughs) but maybe that is just because that's like what media just always goes through but i do think it's interesting how the multiverse like got mentioned in one Marvel film a few years ago and now you have like films based entirely on the multiverse. Like, I don't know how much more research on the multiverse has been done in that time or if I don't know some writers at Marvel just like saw it somewhere and decided to include it but I wonder if it's getting a more relevant part of science. I don't know if it's getting to that like exciting part of physics for example people growing up in the 50s hearing about a possible like moon landing is like I don't know I don't think we're gonna get any evidence for multiverses but is that where physics is going to like always trying to find something that seems like out of reach I kind of feel like it has to if it's always talking about these theories and as science it doesn't necessarily become more and more complex but you need more multidisciplinary teams to move science forwards because you can't just look at anything from one particular angle even some of the like material science work that i've been involved in it's involved like people that understand physics people that do data science people that understand chemistry all of them coming together and people that sort of understand how um radiation works to look at things yeah so i feel like yeah physics is always going to be sort of pushing that boundary because it's all the maths that's it's it's sort of trying to understand how everything fits together isn't it using maths that's why people, I mean, you mentioned like a grand unified theory and that's, I guess, maybe in a bit more particularly because you have the four fundamental forces and then three of them just, you know, they're perfect. Like they make sense. They fit into the standard model, um, which people know is wrong because of dark matter and dark energy doesn't really fit in. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways. Just, just ignore that jargon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So does that, obviously the standard model doesn't work. Um but because they know that it's not the most perfect model because it doesn't include gravity it doesn't include the four fundamental force and so a lot of people are trying to search for this theory beyond the standard model that includes everything that works from the standard model with gravity as well because currently it's like separate and when we did a module on it um we did about the standard model for eight like nine out of 12 weeks well more than that it was probably like 10 or 11 and then the final few weeks were on beyond the standard model and then it was all these crazy things that could happen and would if this happened and they found this then it would explain all of this 
And so I think people are always constantly searching to kind of one, figure out the unknowns, but two, figure out what the unknowns can tell us because it's kind of searching for the unknown unknowns <laughs> in a way. Which I think is cool, but also feels so tiring. To me, science is about finding out something and reaching a conclusion and moving forward because that's what you do in school you do an experiment and you get a conclusion and then when you get to physics like with nothing well the theoretical physics like yeah we don't really do that we just keep going up with new theories and then trying to figure out yeah. ways of testing them how do you measure something that you can't directly interact with yeah well that's what um all of the particle experiments i think they um when there's a new particle uh that gets theorized they design experiments specifically searching for it and then it's always like, I mean, I, I don't know how particle physics like do it because it's just searching for like this, this little bump that just means like the Higgs particle exists. And I think that's really cool. But I feel like my area of physics that I like is like application heavy. I want to do something, solve something, and then a very quick turnaround. I want to see how that's going to help something. Um I don't know. I, that's that, I, that's what I've realized doing physics. I'm like, I, I really can appreciate the theorists. And I think they are just crazy uh, intelligent. Um, and I like like reading about the theory stuff. But as soon as it goes into, hmm, how do we actually solve this? I'm like, no, I'd rather see, be able to see my <laughs> solutions and see how, you know, what contribution they make. So maybe it's just the different types of people just think different parts of physics are more valuable and more important than others. But that's just biases, really, I think. Yeah, I guess that depends on you, your viewpoint, because I would imagine that some of these theories have led to some great discoveries. And I was reading about um, the whole quantum entanglement thing. That is how like um, quantum encryption works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Which is how some data security is done stuff like quantum encryption people years ago would have thought well that's crazy and it sounds just like some people say to sound like physics-y but now people are actually trying to get quantum encryption to work on like a global scale so that when you have your bank details if you encrypt them um, using a quantum computer whenever somebody tries to steal them or hack them or take that information it just destroys the information and then it's physically impossible to kind of steal and hack into something because currently I think they do encryption on like secure details so that it takes a supercomputer a hundred years to crack it but like the idea is that it's crackable and so now we're moving into using quantum computers to try and have like a key and a lock system if you lock something with a specific key then only with that key can you unlock it and that's a bit quantum encryption. And if somebody tries to, you know, break the lock, then it just breaks and you can't open, you know, which I think is cool that it's actually getting an application because that's something that's quite theoretical that's now being found to be useful on the global scale. Because when you tell that to people, they're like, my a supercomputer takes 100 years to break into my details. No, and everyone's like, nothing's secure. It's obviously good enough for now, but I think as well, though, as like technology advances, how much is that time going to be broken down? Like how good can supercomputers get before we need to use quantum computers? No, and I guess if we keep looking into the future, this is what I, I find weird about most representations of like time travel in films. They start hopping around through time and affecting 
the original timeline. But I feel like if if so, this is one of the things with string theory where you get so far down the dimensions, you can go back and forward in time. But I feel like you won't affect the timeline you're originally in because there are all these multiple timelines anyway. Yeah. So it's like yeah. you were saying that everything is happening anyway. I've never thought about it like that because I always think, you know, um, with time travel films, they're always, they always say things like you can't change things because, you know, the butterfly effects at the end of the day, somebody won't be born. I mean, you might not be born. But I've never thought about it as they go back in time to a different universe that was the same at that point. Yeah, that's what I tend to think of. I mean, I, I kind of suspend like my normal thinking when I watch a lot of films that try and incorporate science. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to try and enjoy them, honestly. Wait, what is it on um, Back to the Future? When he goes back and then changes something, then he goes back to the future and everything's changed. How does he fix that situation? Does he go back and undo things? Yeah, so he ends up with sort of like three versions of himself running around, doesn't he? There's like, or is his self from like a previous film doing something. Okay. And then the other version of himself. And then his current version. I think maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe I have to rewatch Back to the Future. But yeah, he was basically trying to avoid running into himself, wasn't he, at every point? Yeah, because I would say if he went back and then he changed the future, surely he could, I mean, if he could travel between multiverses, go to a different universe where he never changed anything at all. Because that would theoretically exist. It would, but it would make for a very boring movie plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they have a plot line like that in Rick and Morty as well. There's like a, a universe where, where they die or they go back in time they die and then the future them buries the past them and then it's just like an area um not an area a scene where um they point at like these holes in the ground and they go that's where we're buried and it's kind of like crazy like thought experiment on how timelines work which is maybe maybe honestly like you don't even need to do a physics degree you just need to watch rick and morty and (laughs) back to the future for the time limits on the timelines yeah and then decide for yourself if you think this is actually feasible and then come up with a new theory yeah <laughs> maybe more physicists need to work on these shows and then just try and animate all the different theories that are possible and just see what the reaction is from people i think there'd be a lot of confused faces but you never know maybe someone will hit on <laughs> some way of explaining it that is 100 percent accurate and yeah, easy to visualize yeah. it's true so you were talking about non-linearity before and some things are and some things aren't. Can you sort of explain what that means? Because I think of it as a cause has an effect and that's linear. You go from A to B. Is that what you mean? Kind of. Because a cause does have an effect, but it's like a cause with a slightly different change has a huge change in that final effect. And I get, that is essentially what chaos is it's just these like tiny changes in initial conditions that result in huge changes in the final results and non-linear is non-linearity is actually just i think i did a module on it and it's just a really cool concept like you get loads of strange and weird things happening when you have non-linear things happening in the universe which happens you know even just with like gene regulation and everything like that that's all non-linear like it happens in biology it's not just like that's what I like about some areas of mass and physics is you can see that they happen in 
actual biological systems and in nature. So some people think that nonlinearity is a very abstract concept that doesn't have many kind of applications, but it's been existing in nature for a while. I don't know if I've gone very off topic here. Oh, so I, the reason I was asking was because we were talking about films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a film on Netflix at the minute called Look Both Ways, where someone who is just about to graduate from university takes a pregnancy test. There's one timeline where it is positive and she has the child. And there's another timeline mm-hmm. where it's negative oh, okay. and she goes to pursue her career. Yeah. But they both end up pretty much at the same point at the end. It seemed like it didn't really matter what happened in her life. She was always destined oh, yeah. to have this career and have a family it didn't really matter how she got there well i guess okay in that context that's a very linear timeline because i would say it's like the the butterfly effect though essentially like non-linear is when you have like the changes and so i feel like if it was non-linear if it was realistic then she wouldn't be ended up in the same place people always love non-linear stuff in films and now there's a film that's <laughs> linear i don't know how i feel about that because <laughs> i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't say that that would be a talking point. I quite liked it. It kind of said like it doesn't really matter if you don't do something great first time necessarily. You'll get there in the end. It's a nice little thought actually. Maybe they did it for the post film thoughts and morals where you can get in a bit more confidence and be like, yeah, it's going to be okay, rather than you make a change and just everything descends into chaos, <laughs> which is exactly <laughs> what the physics would say. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I find that really disconcerting, this idea that this small change can have this this huge effect that could fundamentally change my life as I know it. Yeah, that's how they actually um, do like weather modelling sometimes as well, is like uh, when they have a measurement and they ha- have the forecast at that point, they see how different it is and they try and model it to be as close as possible. Because if there's like a big enough change and difference, it means that your forecast for three days time is totally different than what it's actually going to be in three days time even when you use a model. So that's why I learned if you ever want to know what the forecast is, you just have to look the day before because it gets to like six or seven days in advance. And because of the differences in the model and what's actually going to happen, it just becomes so different. It's almost like, what's the point of putting a forecast up? (laughs) I think that brings us back to probabilities as well, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They always say there's like a 20% chance of rain or a 50% chance of rain. And I always think 50% chance is just normal around here. That just means it probably won't rain, but be prepared anyway. It's really interesting how you interpret those probabilities as well. Because when somebody says 20% chance of rain, I always think probably not going to rain. And then it does and you say they're wrong. But if somebody said 100% (laughs) chance and you're like, is that it's raining now? Is that, I don't know, because can anything be 100% in the future? Because there's definitely some times when you look at a forecast and it says 5pm or 100% chance of rain. Uh, I feel like we're saying that weather forecasting relies on some really complicated physics and maybe involves the multiverse. Everything involves the multiverse if you try hard (laughs) enough. I feel like we're kind of getting hideously distracted and confused by sort of real world things like forecasting the weather in things that don't really happen but only happen in the movies with some physics that again also it doesn't really happen but it's just what people think could be possible mm-hmm. that's what i'm getting out of this episode but i feel like i still don't quite understand it well enough to sum up very well so do you want to try and conclude this episode emma sure oh i can say a very cool quote actually it's a Feynman quote and this is hopefully to put everybody at a you know, a bit of rest, a bit of ease. And simply it's, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, then you don't understand quantum mechanics. 
that's where I think it's a good place to end it is there's many things that can happen and the multiverse <laughs> theory I think is a really cool theory to think about and that's why it always gets put in all these films and everything like that which is interesting and cool but when it actually comes to the maps of it that's when things start to get really confusing you have all these different theories pop up to trying to fit the theory into the maths and so I think do a quantum mechanics physics course and then you'll get that you'll see the maps and then you'll be like yeah and then you'll think about multiverses and then you'll be back to square one again so <laughs> that's probably the best way to end it fair enough and as Richard Feynman said you'll probably never reach that understanding because it's just <laughs> it's weird man <laughs> yeah yeah it really is cool. thank you for that summary if you're still listening to this and you like what you've heard and you want to support this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you would follow the link in our podcast description and maybe consider buying us a coffee. So we'd really appreciate your support. And it's always really nice to see people interacting with us as well. So go check that link out and uh, we'll see you next time. The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.